Greetings all. We are back. We are back in Hebrews 7 and going to finish the chapter today with uh, verses 11 through 28. I know it looks long, and what we're going to do is um, read the text as we go rather than read it all uh, through and then go back through it again. So for time's sake, we'll, we'll take each segment, each uh, point, and there are six of them, um, as they come, if you have your outlines in front of you. Uh, but don't fret. I intend to go through this pretty quickly. Um, last week was a pretty good introduction to this. And this text, 11 through 28, serves as an introduction really to the rest of uh, our author's presentation of the high priesthood of Christ in chapters 8, 9, and 10. So we're going to um, work efficiently uh, but quickly through this. And um, so grab on to something, hold on tight. Let me open in prayer and we'll begin. Father, thank you again for the end of another week and the beginning of this one. Lord, with uh, your word, your teaching, Lord, the fellowship that we share in the cross, the blessings that we have in Christ, our redemption, our salvation, our growth in Christ, our uh, being conformed to his image. Lord, we know that this is how it happens. This is how it comes. Very importantly, as as we are in your word together. So take this passage, the scripture, and take uh, this exposition of it, Father, and, and continue that good work of our sanctification. Make us who you would have us to be in the likeness of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We thank you and commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> the message is called the priesthood that redeems the church, and that would be the high priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there is no other intercession. There is no other stand between that we have between us and God the Father but our Lord Jesus. So this is a beautiful passage for that purpose, to present that again. Having introduced Melchizedek last week and the priesthood that he represented that stands as a type for our Lord Jesus' priesthood, which is eternal and perfect. So the, the title is The Priesthood That Redeems the Church. We're going to look at uh, six different points here over the, the verses, uh, <coughs> characteristics of Jesus' priesthood. First, verse 11, uh, Jesus' priesthood is perfect. Verses 12 through 14, his priesthood is separate. Verses 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19, Jesus' priesthood is parable. 20 through 22, Jesus' priesthood is certified. 23 through 25, Jesus' priesthood is eternal. And finally, 26 through 28, Jesus' priesthood is transcendent. Okay, let's look first of all at the first characteristic here that Jesus' priesthood is perfect. Verse 11. Now, if perfection, our writer writes, had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? 
Well, the big difference is, is because one priesthood is perfect and the other is imperfect, incomplete, and only temporary. The, the, uh, the priesthood of our Lord Jesus is perfect and complete and, and complete and eternal. Of course, we'll talk about the eternity of Christ's priesthood here in a little bit. But there's that word teleos again now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood. That, there's that word again that means perfect. It's usually translated perfect, but it also has the, uh, the force of uh, completeness that something is complete, will be teleos in Christ one day, as we will be complete in him. Uh, even in our maturity, we're, you know, can reach maturity, completeness in our maturity, without being um, sinlessly perfect. But in this case, in this context, uh, perfection, uh, with regard to Christ's priesthood, has both meanings. It's perfect and complete, and it's eternal. So... Uh, Levitical priesthood <clears throat> um, was marked out by the law. The, Levit the Levitical law um, was basically the Levites or the priesthood's responsibility. When ancient Hebrews went to church, quote unquote, the Levites were their pastors. They went to church to do covenant renewal at the tabernacle and with their sacrifices, and that would not be possible without the Levitical tribe and the three families of the Levites. But the thing about the Aaronic, or the, the, the priesthood of Aaron, or the priesthood of Levi, is that it was imperfect. Moses and Aaron were both sinners. They, they had sinned before God. Our author will make that point a little bit later in the text, that priests had to take care of them their own sin before the Lord, before they could intercede for the rest of the nation. So the Aaronic, or Mosaic, Levitical priesthood was imperfect and, and temporal. And they presented the law to the people. And the law, even the, Levit the, the, Levitical, the Levitical law and even the Ten Commandments, um, were not in, them, in themselves uh, able to make perfect or justify God's people in his presence. Um, the Levites applied the law. They presented the law um, of all sorts, civil, ceremonial, and um, um, moral, and taught it. But uh, their teaching them, themselves and the, um, the law itself could not justify God's people. If it could, and this is our author's point, if the Levitical priesthood could accomplish the justification of its people before God on his throne, the perfect God on his throne, well then, uh, any priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek, the priesthood of Christ, would not be necessary, now would it? But Jesus' priesthood is perfect, and the Aaronic priesthood was imperfect, temporal and incomplete. So, secondly, Jesus' priesthood is separate. It's distinct. It's apart from the Levitical priesthood. It comes in from a different trajectory entirely. Our author goes on, verses 12 through 14, for when there's a change in the priesthood, there's necessarily a change in the law as well. Basically, 
the law prescribed that the Levites be the go-between between God and the nation in their worship. But if we're going to have another priest and another priesthood come in, well, then other laws are going to have to uh, uh, come to, to the fore and certain laws go out the window. Basically, the Levitical law of the Levites being our uh, church leaders uh, was going to be replaced by another law. Now, again, that's Levitical law, but it's also uh, principally uh, uh, the, the moral law as well. Um, the moral law um, was unable to make anyone perfect. And that is um, that is obvious throughout uh, soteriology and uh, the, the doctrines of salvation throughout the scripture. The law cannot redeem. The law cannot justify. It can only point to he who can and can only prescribe uh, the remedy that brings that that justification ultimately. Um, so when there's a change in the priesthood, there's necessarily a change in the law as well. The Levitical law demanded obedience, uh, and the altar was the only remedy. There was only one way, and that was obedience to God through the law and bring your sacrifice to the, uh, to the uh, tabernacle. For the one of whom these things are spoken, and that be Christ, he belonged to another tribe <clears throat> from which no one has ever served at the altar. Only Levites served at the altar. Uh, when, Jude, uh, when Israel was formed up at the foot of Sinai, they got their marching orders, and Levi was set aside as that tribe who would be the churchmen and the church leadership, the, the worship leadership, and the, the caretakers of the temple and tabernacle for God's people. Jesus comes from another tribe, <clears throat> one which has never served at the altar. And which is that? Verse 14, for it's evident that our Lord, our Lord Jesus, was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So Jesus comes in from a whole different direction. Um, and when you think about it, Jesus couldn't have come from Levi. Uh, then you'd have a, a perfect priest trying to manage an imperfect priesthood. It would have been absurd and impossible. Jesus had to descend from another tribe. As Melchizedek does not descend from Shem, so and he's a king and priest of God Most High, he, he sets that stage, he, he sets that standard for... Uh, the priest that would justify us before the Father, our Lord Jesus. He stands separate from and distinct from uh, a priesthood that is going away, that is imperfect, temporal, and uh, uh, incomplete. Christ's priestly trajectory had to be other than the Levi's. And again, uh, the change in the law is prescribed in, in how we how we approach the law now. Jesus kept the law for us. We didn't have to. We couldn't have. He keeps the law. So that's another law. It's a law of faith and and grace. Justification by faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's by, it is by grace that you are saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. 
lest anyone should boast. So uh, we have our justification in another uh, in another priest and in another priesthood by necessity. Aaron and Moses and all who descended from them physically could not make us uh, justified before the Father. So Jesus' priesthood is perfect. His priesthood is separate. Thirdly, his priesthood is powerful, verses 15 through 19. This becomes, our writer continues, even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. Again, that's Christ who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent. Only Levites could be priests in the Old Testament under the Levitical law. But by the power of an indestructible life. So Jesus doesn't become our priest uh, from a certain bodily descent according to Levitical law, but because he is the Son of God. He is the incarnate Son of God. He is indestructible. His priesthood will never end. It will never change. Uh, He is the incarnate Son of God. He is the resurrected Christ, glorified, uh, powerful. His his priesthood, his intercession is all-powerful, and it's eternal in in its power. It's perfectly powerful and eternally powerful. It is sufficient for us. His priesthood is power. For it's witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110, 4 again, there it is. He is a priest forever. And only um, a priest with an indestructible, indissoluble life can be a priest forever. Well, the priest of, of Levi, Moses to Aaron on down, were, were sinners and they died and they were replaced. They didn't serve forever. Only Christ does, because he's indestructible. He's, he's eternal before creation, throughout uh, redemptive history, and into uh, eternity future. Verse 18, for on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and use, uselessness. Um, Jesus could not become or would not be a priest according to Levi and Aaron, so that law is set aside. It will not. It will be weak and useless in justifying us before the Father and preparing a priest for us. So it's set aside. Verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. Again, that's parenthetical there. But it's important for us to remember there's no law, moral, civil, or ceremonial, that could justify the sinner before God on his throne in his perfection. It could show us our sin. It could show us that we we couldn't come to the Lord uh, on our own, in our own righteousness, because we didn't have any. But our author says here, the law it was was unable to make anybody or anything perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God, and that would be Christ our Savior, Jesus, our High Priest, Uh, He can make us perfect. He can justify us before his Father in heaven. The law can't do that. The law is a reflection of God's character. But the law by itself, sitting there on the hewn-out rock, can do nothing but condemn us ultimately. God has to intervene with Christ his Son and give us a priest uh, with a better hope, a perfect hope, an eternal hope. So, Jesus' priesthood is perfect. 
Jesus' priesthood is separate. It's distinct from Levi, and it has to be. And Jesus' priesthood is powerful, all-powerful, perfectly powerful. Fourthly, Jesus' priesthood is certified. Verse 20, and here comes this issue of the oath again. It was not without an oath, Jesus' priesthood that is. For those who formerly became priests, like Moses and Aaron and their downline, were made such without an oath. They became, they were appointed by the law of Levi, well, the law of Israel, given to them by God, but it was Levitical law that, that um, mandated that priests only come from the tribe of Levi. Now Jesus, this one, verse 21, was made a priest with an oath by one who said to him, God the Father, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Now, um, again, the law versus the oath. The law uh, indicates one thing, but the oath can counterindicate uh, for another priest from another tribe uh, because God swears an oath. He, he certifies this priest and this priesthood with an oath. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So this makes Jesus... Our author concludes here, the guarantor or the surety or the collateral, if you will, of a better covenant than uh, the Mosaic covenant of Sinai, the Sinaitic or Aaronic covenant, the the priesthood of Israel. Um, We have in Christ's priesthood a guarantee that his finished work is our justification before the Father. The law, remember, which could not guarantee our justification, is stands in opposition or in distinction at least with God's oath regarding Jesus' priesthood, which would guarantee our justification before the Father. It's basically Jesus saying, you know, he places himself before us uh, as his Father has appointed him our priest. And he says to us, I myself will pay your debt. And it's certified and confirmed and guaranteed with the oath of God the Father. Beautiful stuff. God's, or Jesus' priesthood is certified. Fourthly, Jesus' priesthood is eternal. Verse 23, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. They died. They were sinful. They they lived and died. The, the wages of sin is death. And these guys grew old and died in office, and they were replaced by the next person in, in physical line, uh, in Levi. They were prevented by death from continuing in office. And there was a long line of successive priests in line for that job. Uh, there were lots of them. So... There were former priests, and they were many in number because they lived and died and had to be replaced. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he himself continues forever. He's eternal. He is the pre-eternal Son of God. He's the incarnate, uh, living, uh, redeeming Son of God during his earthly ministry. And he is now our eternal Son of God, high priest in heaven before the Heavenly, holy of holies. Uh, he is eternal. Always has been eternal. His 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 work, his his mission was eternal past, 
an eternal future. And his priesthood continues forever. And it's unchanging. It's, it's permanently. It's, it's, uh, he holds his priesthood permanently, eternally. It's unchanging. And it continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. See the always and the eternal and forever uh, indicated here. He can save us to the uttermost. Everything we need to be justified before the Father, Jesus, our high priest, is capable of doing, and he does that. And now that we're able to draw near to God through him, uh, he always lives, always lives to make intercession for us. Now, what's the uh, implication of that? Well, uh, saving us to the uttermost, always living to intercede for us, I would suggest to you that God saves us completely. He justifies us completely in his presence. And I believe that work continues eternally. In heaven one day, we will still see the, the nail prints in his hands and feet, the scar on his side, the scars around his, his temple, and his glorified body. They will be a forever reminder of us, of Christ's intercession, the priest going to the cross, to be the sacrifice for us. Jesus will always have those marks and will always be reminded of them. And he will always be our priest. And that's a beautiful and encouraging thing to remember that that uh, Jesus' priesthood is eternal. It's eternal for us now. It's unchanging. It's not going to end. Even in glory one day, I believe that that priesthood will continue um, in the remembrance of his sacrifice for us as our priest and as the sacrifice that the priest brings. Beautiful uh, salvation theology, beautiful priesthood and uh, intercessional theology of our Lord Jesus. Finally, Jesus' priesthood is transcendent. Now that's one of those um, $100,000 uh, theological terms, uh, transcendent. Uh, what is transcendence? Well, um, basically, if we're talking about God, and usually we are and we talk about transcendence, when we say that God is transcendent, we're saying that God is above and separate from creation. I mean, he created all. He made everything. He is um, involved intimately with his creation. He's involved, obviously, intimately with us. He's, inv he's involved, he cares, he's, he's down in the, in the mud pit uh, creating and sustaining and loving and redeeming uh, creation. He's not dependent on it or on us. He's not bound to time. He's beyond time. He's over time. He's not dependent on creation. He's above it and independent of it. So when you talk about transcendence, you're talking about something being over something else and not dependent on it. It can come and go as it pleases. And, uh, and yet, we have this transcendent creating God who, who loves us and uh, by covenant attaches himself to us. In the same manner, Jesus or God, uh, the Trinity, transcends the law. It's... it's the, the fleshing out of his own character. So God doesn't have to keep the law. The law is a reflection of his character. He cannot be untrue to himself. 
His law is the law for us, but he transcends all that. And yet, again, God stoops back into reality and into time and into creation to be our God and to be our Redeemer. So Jesus' priesthood is eternal, certified, powerful, separate, perfect, loving, kind, relational, but ultimately it's divine and it's, it's transcendent. Uh, listen to these verses. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Notice the descriptors here. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. Now again, the beautiful thing here is that the priest is also the sacrifice. He brings himself, and he himself is the sacrifice, because only he can be, because only he is perfect and transcendent over our sin, our creation, over the law. He comes to keep the law, to keep the law that we had to keep. He keeps it for us. Verse 28, for the law, again, here's it's, note, it's mentioned again. It's mentioned several times in this passage. The law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath... Now, we talked about that as far as Jesus' priesthood being certified up in verses 20 through 22. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, again, that oath with regard to Christ's priesthood is Psalm 110, verse 4. That's after Exodus 20. It comes after the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So you have the word of the um, the the appointment of the law versus the word of the oath. Which one is greater? Well, when God makes an oath and swears an oath, that's greater than the law of Moses and the Levites and uh, the rest of the law appointing men uh, who are weak to their office. So the the oath overcomes uh, the appointment of the law here. Because the Son of God has been appointed by God's own oath. And he's been made perfect forever. <clears throat> so, from here, our author will um, um, go on in verses 8, 9, and 10 to again explain and build upon this foundation of the priesthood of Christ in a very beautiful way. And we'll unpack that as we go. But as such, these last few verses, these last three verses, serve as a, cha a summary chapter, a summary of chapter seven, and an introduction to chapters eight through ten. It's beautiful stuff we're looking at here, and just speaking pastorally, it should be that which gives us great encouragement, and it serves as a great reminder of the salvation with which we've been saved, and the Redeemer that has saved us, and the the priest that now represents us and intercedes for us at the right hand of God. God's only son is now our high priest. We wouldn't have it any other way. Jesus is our high priest, and he's our high priest as a result of a divine oath, not a Levitical law, and nothing can change that. Amen.
pray for you guys and we miss you guys. Uh, please know that we have um, capabilities now to expand out into the fellowship hall. If you're um, during the worship service, you have a video and audio feed where you can still see the service and, and, and hear the preacher. So if uh, antsiness with regard to the virus is still an issue with you, I think that might be a way that you could feel more comfortable being inside with us. But uh, I understand um, the trepidation at this point, and I'll leave that up to you. But we miss you and hope you all can be back with us soon. Uh, God bless and take care, and Godspeed to you all. Amen.